The Midwest Crime Files is a true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss adult themes and go over the details of heinous crimes and how they were committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. This week is a two-for-one, and it brings us to Flora, Illinois, and Ina, Illinois, but it also brings us back 100 years to the 1920s. Back in the time of those swinging days, but tonight, the nice little bootleggers and all that good stuff. So, in the 1920s, Divorce was very scandalous. Um, If you got divorced, it was like social suicide. You were um, certainly looked down upon. Many people stayed in marriages they weren't happy in just because that's what you did. Some had affairs and others turned to murder. When the appearance of propriety is more important than having actual integrity, These results can be deadly. And these are the stories of the Flora Femme Fatale and the Ina Love Pact. We're going to start in Flora. Nellie Esther Trotter, who was known as Essie, and I'm going to call her Essie throughout the episode, was born in Wayne County, Illinois in 1882. At 18 years old, she married Wilbur Cope, And they had three children in the early 1900s. In 1908, though, the couple divorced. And like I said, this was unusual for the time. In different references that I found, there's two conflicting stories. One story is that Essie just up up and abandoned her husband and her kids. And he was able to get a divorce granted based off the abandonment. The second story that I found was that Wilbur divorced Essie after she attempted to poison him. Essie was now single. She was not with her children, living in Flora, Illinois, and working as a housemaid. She was working as a maid for Havel and Molly Bible in 1908, and her role quickly changed to being a caregiver for Molly because Molly became very ill. According to the CDC, the most common causes of death at this point in time were things like measles, typhoid fever, scarlet fever, whooping cough, tuberculosis, pneumonia, heart disease, accidental deaths, and even diarrhea. We're talking before medical advancements. Yeah, you know, before we had the vaccines for all of this. (laughs) Except for, you know, the diarrhea and, like, all that, so. Well, even at this time, there weren't, antibiotics were not widely used in medicine, if if at all. Um, So it wasn't uncommon for a simple infection to be deadly. Right. And that's exactly what happened with Molly Bible. She died in her home with Essie and her husband, Havel, by her side. But this is where the twist comes. Before long, Essie and Havel were married. It seemed they had a decent life in Flora. They 
had a son on April 25th, 1913, named Floyd. They lived in Clay County. They were a typical couple. They also were raising Havel's daughter from his marriage to Molly. But a chance encounter would change everything. According to the Deadly Women episode featuring Essie's story, she ran into an old acquaintance named Ernest Molinsky in 1923. Now let me tell you about Ernest Molinsky. Ernest Molinsky was a German immigrant. He was born in Germany and he came over to the United States. He started working um, for B&O Railroad. And he seemingly had a lot of money. He was very wealthy. It wasn't long before Havel became ill. And Essie, his wife of almost 15 years, dedicated herself to provide care for him in the home. This was before everybody went to the hospital when they were sick. You know, most people were treated at home. The doctor did home calls frequently. But it was to no avail because Havel died on December 11th, 1923. His attending physician listed his cause of death as pleuro-pneumonia and contributory tubercular meningitis. So basically, he had tuberculosis, which caused an infection in his lungs and in his brain. That's what his cause of death was listed as. Now, Essie is once again a single mother. And she has a son she has to take care of. She went to work again as a housekeeper. And this time she went to work for Ernest Malinsky and his wife, Laura. Ernest and Laura had two sons named Floyd and Arlo. As I said before, Ernest was a German immigrant who worked for the railroad. Um, he was very wealthy. They certainly could afford a live-in maid. So Essie becomes their live-in maid, and before long, Laura Malinsky falls ill. Laura Malinsky passed away in her home on September 26, 1925, at the age of 53. Ernest and Laura had been married since 1894, and Laura was survived not only by her husband, but her son Arlo. Her other son, Floyd, actually presented uh, preceded her in death in 1922. The attending physician listed her cause of death as tomane poisoning and a cerebral hemorrhage that was thought to be caused by eating bad watermelon. So, which is fun. Like that's the, like people want to you know gripe and moan about things today and stuff like that. Like we don't have to worry about being poisoned by a damn watermelon, right? You know. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not not organic anymore, but I don't have to worry about being some weird ass poison like leaching into it from the watermelon I decided to pick. Right. So I had to look up tomaine poisoning because I've never, even as a nurse, I've never really seen that before. When I looked it up, it's basically a very general term to mean a bacterial infection so foodborne illness basically um not a huge issue in modern times we have refrigeration we have plenty of methods for heating and cooling food and um not a terribly scary thing to face but it does happen 
and it happened to Laura Molinsky, presumably. But Laura's family was not satisfied with that response. They felt like Laura's situation was much more sinister, and they wanted her body to be exhumed and more testing to be done. And their hunch that something was off was probably intensified when just six weeks after Laura dies, Ernest marries Essie. He had been married to Laura for almost 30 years and within six weeks marries the housekeeper. It's a little insane. The other thing that drew suspicion was the fact that the watermelon was consumed by Mr. Molinsky and their granddaughter as well, and neither of them grew ill. Laura's body was exhumed in December and sent to the St. Louis for a pathological examination. When the results came back, Laura's internal organs were found to have traces of arsenic in them, and her cause of death was officially changed to arsenic poisoning. These findings prompted the arrest of both Ernest and Essie Malinsky in 1926. On March 10th, Essie pled guilty to the murder of Laura Malinsky and absolved Ernest of all guilt. She took full credit and stated that Ernest had nothing to do with it. She confessed saying that she put the arsenic in Laura's water with the intent to cause her death so that she could marry Ernest. Even after Essie was convicted, a lot of people still feel like Ernest was part of the scheme, but he claimed to have no knowledge and that he said that he was devastated that not only his wife Essie had done something, but that what she had done, this heinous crime, was against his former wife Laura. Judge Thomas Jett handed Essie a life sentence and a firm speech. And I'm going to have you read his quote. If you were a man, I would hang you. The fact that you're a woman is all that saves you. End quote. So that shows you what the times were like. You know, a woman in this time frame was not punished as severely as a man, even for the most heinous of heinous crimes. The judicial system has certainly changed since then. Mr. Malinsky took guardianship of Essie's 14-year-old son from her marriage to Havel Bible after his charges were dropped. The judicial system would fail, though, and Essie would not spend her life in prison. While she was in prison, she confessed to the crime of murder not one more time, but two. She confessed to killing her former husband, Havel Bible, and killing Bible's first wife, Molly Bible. She was a serial killer in Flora, Illinois. She was never charged with those crimes, though, because the prosecution um, basically said she's already serving a life sentence. There's no need for us to retry her. They probably should have rethought that because Essie was released from Joliet Prison on June 18, 1950 at age 68. She moved with her now adult son to California where she lived a very long life 
as a free woman. Nellie S.E. Trotter Cope Bible Malinsky died on September 23, 1980, at age 98. Her headstone reads, quote, Beloved mother and grandmother, end quote. Essie's story is not terribly unique. And the reason that I say that is because at the same time in Southern Illinois, we had quite another sensational story, the Ina Love Pact. Marie, Elsie's son, and she went by Elsie, was born in 1892 and according to her, she was abandoned by her father. She described to a reporter that her mother remarried when she was two years old and she was raised in a house with six siblings. She felt neglected. She dropped out of school at age 12 to actually start working and contributing, which was not uncommon in that time frame either. While cleaning houses, she met Wilford Sweeten. She married Wilford at age 16. The couple would have three children and settle in Ina, Illinois. Wilford worked at Nasid Mine and was a good provider for his family. Elsie even said that he made 40 to $50 a week working at the mine, which for that time period was a lot of money. So he was certainly taking good care of her and her children. But she said despite that she never really felt love and satisfaction from her husband and this unfulfilled need would lead elsie down a path that would turn deadly annie windhorse was born in 1880 and married the reverend lawrence height on june 24 1897 in massac county they were the parents of three children as well and they settled in the small town of Ina. Lawrence Height was the pastor of the Methodist Church of Ina, and he was very well respected in the community. Well, he was, until rumors in this small town started to fly. At the time, Ina was a town of 400 people, and the citizens quickly noticed that Elsie Sweeten and Lawrence Height had some flirtation among them. Um, there were some stolen glances, suggestive show, uh, demonstrations of affection, and the rumor mill just went into full speed. And the rumors would only intensify after the summer of 1924. On July 16th, 1924, Wilford, who went by Jack, sustained a minor injury to his arm while working in the mine. When he was recovering from his injury, Jack and Essie decided to make a trip on July 17th to Benton, Illinois. While they were in Benton, they enjoyed some ice cream, did some shopping, and everything was seemingly fine until they returned home. At this time, Mr. Sweeten became very ill with nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Elsie calls not one, not two, not three but four different physicians to try to find out what's wrong with her husband. And they all say that he has tomaine poisoning from the ice cream. Elsie at some point also vomited, which the physicians felt 
prove the theory that there was food poisoning. Despite calling in multiple doctors to treat her husband, Jack Sweeten died on Monday, July 28th, 1924. Just prior to his death, Lawrence Height was called to pray with Jack and he stayed in Comfort Elsie after his death. The same four physicians that performed the autopsy on Mr. Sweeten determined that his cause of death was liver cirrhosis. Height performed the funeral service and said, quote, I converted him on his deathbed and he gave his soul to God, end quote. Mr. Sweeten was buried in Kirk Cemetery. The rumors grew about the suspected romance between Height and Sweeten when Mr. Height was seen comforting Elsie on her front porch. But I don't know any reverend who comforts a mourning widow by rubbing her breast. <laughs> I don't see that. But that's what he did. It's a special way to pray. Yes. So Elsie, now a single mother, she took a job in a store clerk and continued to be very active in the church. On September 6, 1924, Mr. Hype prepared ham sandwiches for his wife and children, but he said he really wasn't that hungry. So he gave the ham sandwiches to his wife and his children, but he did not consume any himself. The children quickly complained of indigestion and gastrointestinal discomfort but it seemed to kind of work its way through their system pretty quick and they were fine but Anna got really sick she was nauseous she was vomiting and within a couple of days she was paralyzed from her neck down and vomiting blood many of the same physicians were called to evaluate Mr. Height that had evaluated Mr. Sweeten. And they determined that Mrs. Height was also suffering from tomain poisoning. Which comes to, like, I'm sorry, this is the third, like, case of tomain poisoning that we've had in this podcast today. In, a, in just a couple of months. And, but. like, this had to have been a very chronic, or a very, uh, it'd be very freak, like, prevalent back back then. If it, all the doctors like, oh, it's just tomain poisoning. Like, it wasn't, like, a necessary, like, oh, she's got tomain poisoning. I wonder what's causing it. Like, it had to have been like, oh, no, they just eat some bad food, you know? Right. It seems like that was maybe their catch-all diagnosis. Either that or the doctors suck, but. So, on September 12th, 1924, Annie Height passed away in her home. She was taken to Metropolis, Illinois for burial. Now, I know Ina and Metropolis are not that far apart. But the travel back then is certainly not what it is today. So Mr. Height was actually gone for a few days, burying his wife in Metropolis. And when he returns back to Ina, the town is just, it's, it's like a bunch of teenagers gossiping in the hallways. Like, it's just rumors flying everywhere. The Jefferson County Coroner, Jesse Reese, ordered an investigation into the death of Mrs. Height and sent some of her stomach contents that were collected after her death to a Chicago laboratory for analysis. Hearing all these rumors, their local pharmacist contacts authorities and he confirms to them that Mr. Height purchased a very large amount of arsenic. 
The bodies of Jack Sweeten and Annie Height were exhumed before the ground even had a chance to settle upon their graves. Specimens from both of the deceased organs were sent to Chicago. And when the results came back, it proved arsenic to be the cause of death for both Mr. Sweeten and Mrs. Height. Lawrence Height was the first arrested, and he initially claimed the arsenic was purchased to kill rats at the parsonage. And they did find the arsenic in the parsonage in Ina. Eventually, though, Mr. Height decides he wants to confess his sins. He said that he killed both Mr. Sweeten and his wife because he felt they were suffering from ptomaine poisoning, and he wanted to, quote, put them out of their misery, end quote. The story changes again, though. When fellow church leaders come to see him, they urge him to do the right thing, to get, to get right with God. So he admits his guilt, and this time he implicates Elsie. Elsie's arrested, but she professes her innocence repeatedly and says she doesn't know anything about it. Eventually, she was put in a cell with height while the authorities listened in on their conversations. They heard the couple discuss the murders, Elsie offered to take care of Lawrence's children while he was in prison. And Lawrence suggested that she come clean. And then they heard noises that they described as kissing sounds. Elsie eventually confessed. And she also confessed to Jack's father, her former father-in-law. Parts of her confession are available. And I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from her confession. Quote, a week or so before my husband was hurt in the mine at Nason, Lawrence Height gave me a paper bag with some poison in it and told me to give some to Wilford, end quote. And then she said, quote, I gave him some chocolate candy in which I mixed some of the poison Height had given me, end quote. And finally, quote, Wilford became very ill, but later seemed better on Tuesday, so I gave him some more. She goes on later to say that that Friday, he wasn't dying fast enough, so she gave him more in his tomato soup. So not only did she poison her husband once, but she poisoned him three different times. Once, twice, three times the late... Okay, sorry. (laughs) Height wrote a letter to his daughter admitting the crimes, and Sweeten also gave a very detailed confession to a reporter. Both Elsie and Lawrence expressed remorse for their crimes, and they claimed to be driven by a lustful desire, loneliness, and they blamed their unhappy marriages for their crimes. Despite these confessions, they both plead not guilty. The trial was one of the most sensational in Southern Illinois history. It drew large crowds and angry mobs. There were people that wanted to lynch them in the street. Elsie and Lawrence were tried together, with the theory being that Lawrence was the mastermind. Height pled not guilty by reason of insanity, but he was found sane to stand trial. He claimed a history of abuse and mental illness in his family, the confession of Height and Sweeten were also presented as evidence, but they couldn't find any evidence to prove unlawful physical intimacy. 
See, back then, if you cheated on your wife, that you could be prosecuted for that. On December 24th, 1924, the jury returned a unanimous verdict of guilty for both Lawrence Height and Elsie Sweeten. On January 3rd, 1925, the judge sentenced Lawrence Height to life in prison. Elsie Sweeten was sentenced to a term of 30 years. Again, showing what a difference it makes in those times to be female versus male. Lawrence was taken to the Menard Correctional Center and Elsie was taken to Joliet Prison, where she more than likely met Essie Bible while Essie was serving her time. Elsie would not be there long. She was granted a new trial in 1927 based on an appeal that said she should not have been tried with Reverend Height as that created a bias and an unfair trial. After her second trial, Elsie claimed that her confessions were coerced in order to seek protection from the angry mob in Ina who wanted to lynch her. This time, Elsie was found not guilty and was released from prison to care for her sons. Elsie Sweeten moves to Chicago and later California. So eventually, both Elsie Sweeten and Essie Bible are spending their final days in California. She remarried and became Mrs. Jack Turley, and she lived out her life with her children in San Diego, where she passed away on October 31st, 1960. Lawrence Height was imprisoned until March 28th, 1952, when he was granted parole after serving 27 years. Mr. Height passed away on May 6, 1959, at age 84, and he is buried in Mount Vernon, Illinois. What do these stories tell us? These stories from 100 years ago tells us that murder happens everywhere and at every point in history. The methods may evolve, but the motives don't really evolve that much. No, not at all. Love triangles and jealousy will always be motives for murder. With modern science and medicine, poisoning as a method for murder is not nearly as common as it was 100 years ago. We have so much more advanced forensic technology that you wouldn't get away with that kind of crime anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, with all, all the advances in medicine, I mean, arsenic is not <laughs> not a good murder weapon anymore. No longer are judges and juries hesitant to really harshly sentence females anymore either. While um, we live in Illinois, so we are not a death penalty state, um, but I do think it's still, you know, maybe a little less common for women to get the death penalty than men, but it's not uncommon at all for women to get life in prison. Well, I mean, and if you think about it, like back in the the 20s and everything, women were... considered dainty and not like not not as smart as men you know that's why like the second one mr height got you know oh he's the mastermind of it i'm i'm sure they both had a say in it right i mean he's the man of the time so yeah he's the one that's going to be sentenced harder because oh there's no way she could think of this she's just dumb little female you know well i think it's absolutely crazy that elsie sweeten confessed 
And in her confession, she admitted to poisoning her husband three different times, yet on retrial is found not guilty and released. Right. Um, If she was a man, she likely would have gotten the death penalty. Um, If Elsie Malinsky and Elsie Sweeten lived in today's world, they would have probably spent their entire life behind bars. But because their crimes were over 100 years ago, their fate was much different. If you want more information about either one of these cases, please visit our website at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com where we have a full list of references, including the Deadly Women episode that was used in making this episode. And once again, guys, we want to thank you guys again for all the uh, responses to this podcast. Uh, you know, it's it started out as just something Gina and I, for Gina and I to do just to kind of spend some time together and just because we're like she definitely has a passion for this stuff but we it's starting to grow a little bit and it's kind of it's kind of cool um we also want to ask you guys again if you have any stories that you guys would like to hear us uh do some research on and write about just go to our facebook page uh the midwest crime files or go to the midwestcrimefiles.com and send us a message on either one of them about what you would like to hear And please make sure to go on and like and follow us on Facebook. We hit a 500 milestone this week. We're pretty excited about that. I think we hit 600 already, too. I think we're pretty close. So thank you guys all. We really appreciate all of our fans. Yep. Thank you, guys. Bye.